Okay, so have you ever gotten like a new thing, like a new appliance or a new DVD player or a new speaker thing or whatever, and there's that like this horrible, enormous, grotesque, monstrous power strip behind your like your entertainment center? And you're like, when you get that new DVD thing or whatever it is, you like, you know, like it's Christmas and you're like, oh, this is so great. But in the back of your mind, you're thinking, uh oh, I got to, I got to plug this in. I got to hook it up. This is scary. This is scary. Anybody ever felt that way? Maybe it's just me. That's all right. I'm all right. I'm okay being alone up here all by myself. I'm okay. I'm all right. Anybody ever felt that way? And like, like, you know, like you wait. They're like, hey, let's plug in the new thing. You're like, yeah, about that. Um, haven't gotten to it yet. You know, and you're kind of waiting for like your techie buddy to come over. And you're like, dude, can you give me a hand? Because you don't want your wife to know that you're not that technologically savvy. And then you get back there and there's like no outlets in the, anybody, anybody relating to this? And it's like, I mean, there's, like, there's all these plugs. And you're like, well, okay, two questions. What do I unplug? And how do I know which one that is? Because they go through the little hole in the back. And it's like, what do I do now? Right? Anybody relating to this? Anybody ever had like an overloaded thing? Okay, I'm telling you, that can be one of the scariest moments. <clears throat> I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> you guys don't care. Y'all just like, Really? That's the way you're going to start this new series with an outlet story. <laughs> Sometimes life can feel that way, can it? I mean, really, think about it. Anybody ever had that happen, that experience where, like, I mean, you look at your life and you think, I cannot fit one more thing into this power strip. I cannot, I cannot, my life is absolutely jammed to the hilt. Anybody ever prayed the prayer, God, if you could just give me like a week of like 30-hour days, I could totally be caught up. I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, you talk to retired people and they're like, we're busier now than we've ever been. You talk to teenagers or better yet, you text them. You ever met a teenager that texts more than they talk? It's like, no, I swear, man, complete senses. It's not all about OMG. It's not. It's just not. Life is overloaded, isn't it? It's crazy how life just, just gets overloaded. Married couples who haven't had a meaningful conversation in months. Why? Because we're too busy carting our kids all over high heaven, making sure that they're well-rounded, that they've got all of the fresh experience, right? It's like, we've got to make sure, heaven forbid my kid not go to bocce club. You know, it's like, I mean, life just has this way of being overloaded, doesn't it? See, here's the thing, though. For so many of us, I think we bought into this myth. We bought into this idea that this is just what it means to be an American. This is just what it means to be a human being. To be born is to be overloaded. And yet, here's what I think. And this is the contention of this whole new series that we're going to be doing for the next month. I don't think that that's what the Bible says. I don't think that when you and I begin to turn in the pages of the Bible, when we begin to study Scripture, what we find out is it is not God's desire for you and I to live such frazzled, stressed out, overcomplicated, overloaded lives that we miss life while we're on our way to the next appointment. See, I think as we study this book, what we begin to discover is that an overloaded life is a life that begins to push out God. 
Anybody ever experienced that where, where your life is so busy that you start to miss those God moments that I think exist in all of our lives? But we get so consumed, we get so caught up, we get so overloaded in our life that we start to look around and we go, I- I'm sure God is here somewhere, but I can't seem to, to see him. I can't seem to, to see him at work in my life. I feel like God is a million miles away and it's for no other reason if we'll truly be honest with ourselves than the fact that we're just overloaded, that our lives are overloaded. Well, if you've ever felt that way, then that's what we're going to be talking about for the next month. For the next five weeks, you and I are going to pause every seven days, and we're going to look at a different angle to the question, how did life get so overloaded? And hopefully by the end of this series, each one of us are going to be able to identify those areas in our life where we're overloaded, where things have seemed to have gotten complicated. And we're going to be able to back ourselves out and uncomplicate the life that God has given us. So this morning, to start with, I want us to turn in the Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you brought your Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I usually preach out of the NIV, uh, the New International Version, which is kind of a a modern, you know, translation of the Bible. But for the last several months during my soap times, as Scott mentioned, the prayer and fasting thing, and one of the things we do here at Next Level Church is called SOAP, S-O-A-P. And it's how we daily read the Bible and study it and digest it together. And if you don't have a reading guide, you can pick one of those up in the foyer. Make sure you get one of those because SOAP has absolutely changed my life, the life of our staff, and honestly, it's changing the life of hundreds of you as well who are soaping and spending time with God daily uh, in the Bible. Well, one of the things that's been a huge blessing for me is spending time in the Bible in a, in a particular translation called The Message. And the message paraphrase or translation of the Bible is, is great for me because I, it's, I feel like it's so vivid. It so just comes alive. And I'm reading, I feel like I'm reading the stories of the Bible again for the first time, all over again. So this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I want us to look at, at a few verses, verses 29, 30, and 31. And then I want to culminate in verse 35. And, and I want to read it out of the message because I think it's so, the, the language here is so vivid that I hope you'll grasp this. Because inside of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, inside these few verses we're going to read together this morning are some keys to how we begin to uncomplicate our lives, which is what I want us to talk about this morning. Let's look at it together. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 29, and actually before we look at it, let me give us a little background information. Basically, Paul, the Apostle Paul, was writing to a, a group of believers, a church, much like ours, I'm sure, in the city called Corinth. And there were some questions about being single and being married and which is better, which is better for the Lord and all of this stuff. And so Paul is writing very specifically leading up to these verses. And he's talking about, you know, single people. It's better that you're single because now you have more time and energy to serve the Lord. and You don't have to worry about your, your spouse and your kids and all the details of life that make it complicated. But, he's, but then he goes on and he's like, but listen, here's my advice. If you're single, you know, don't rush into being married. But if you're married, certainly don't get unmarried, which is very good advice, by the way. And somebody needs to, you're just like, wow, that was a word for me. There you go. If you're married, don't get unmarried. It's just, it's biblical, really, uh, most all the time. So, uh, it, so Paul is given this whole banter, and he's like, single, married, married, single, married, single, single, married, and he's doing this whole deal. But then, in verse 29, he kind of zooms above the whole debate. He goes clear up above it, and he basically says, okay, listen, there's a greater issue going on. And I want you to grab a hold of the greater issue because more than the issue of married or single or blah, 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 all of that stuff, Paul says, listen, there's an issue here about how you live your life, not just in single, married, and that deal, but in every area of your life. So check this out. Verse 29, he rises above it, and look at what he says. I do want to point out, friends, that time is of the essence. There is no time to waste. So don't complicate your lives unnecessarily. Don't complicate your lives 
unnecessarily. Verse 30, keep it simple. And again, he broadens the scope here. Check it out. In marriage, in grief, in joy, whatever, even, look at this, in ordinary things, like your daily routines of shopping and so on. You didn't even know that the Bible talked about shopping. Come on, ladies. Can I get an amen? There's, we got scriptural precedent that we, why did I throw myself in that category? Because I love to shop. It's true. We need to shop for Jesus that's a great connection group right there. Somebody, somebody go to a table somewhere and sign up. Clearance for God. 31, what are we talking about? 31, come on. Why are you guys doing this? Why are you, being, why are you all over the place today? Why can't you just focus with me? Verse 31, deal as sparingly as possible. If you're new, you're like, what is going on? Where's the stand up, stand up sit down, rah, rah, rah part of the service? It, it, it's over. Verse 31, deal... <laughs> If you guys knew all of the things I didn't say, you'd thank me. I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm, I'm not saying. 31. Deal as sparingly as possible with the things that the world thrusts on you. All of the stuff that tends to complicate your life. You've got to deal with that stuff, Paul says. This world as you see it. Yeah, it, it's, it's on its way out. That this isn't all that there is. And Paul goes on for the next several verses and he culminates the whole thing in verse 35 by basically saying, listen, the myth that life is supposed to be overloaded is a lie. And God wants us to to back our way out of this, to uncomplicate our lives. So how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, I think verses 29, 30, and 31 begin to give us a real clear picture of how you and I begin to uncomplicate our lives. And if you want to take some notes, there's some fill-in-the-blanks in the bulletin. I'd love for you to follow along. Here's the first thing. Number one, we've got to recognize that time is of the essence. We've got to recognize that time is of the essence. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, about seven and a half years ago when my wife and I were moving from Indiana to, to Fort Myers to start the church, uh, we owned our home in, in Fort Wayne. Indiana, and so we had a, a couple that was going to do a rent-to-own thing, and so I went and I, I got a contract, and so I, I called my attorney and I said, "Hey, I need you to take a look at this contract and tweak it and add anything that needs to be added or whatever." And so a couple days later, he sent me the contract, and I noticed that, like, you know, the contract was pretty boilerplate, you know, and just standard all the way down. And then there was like line 18, and it, it, right at the end, in a different font, in a different size, it says 18 time. Time is of the essence in this contract. And I read that, and I'm like, okay, what's going on? So I called him, and I said, hey, what what does line 18 mean? And he said, very simply, Matt, it means this. Whenever this contract talks about a date or a time, it means that it really means that. Well, hang on, let me sit down for that. I'm like, what is going on? He said, no, so if the contract says June 24th at midnight, it really means June 24th at midnight. That The dates and the times in the document are for real. Now watch this. This book, the Bible, actually has a lot to say about the dates and times of our lives. It actually has a lot to say about how you and I are to approach our days. Psalm 39, verse 4, look at it with me. It says this, show me, Lord. This is a prayer of the psalmist. Show me, Lord, my life's end. In the number of my days. He says, listen. 
God, if you would do anything for me, I I, I pray that you would show me where I'm going to be at the end of this whole deal. I pray that you would show me uh, how many days I got left. Why? Look at the end of the verse. Let me know how fleeting my life is. See, the psalmist is praying this prayer. Why? Because he understands that there is an urgency to every single day of our lives that time really does matter to God. Every once in a while, my kids will get like a gift card to a toy store, you know, maybe for a birthday or for the holidays or whatever it is. And it's amazing to me because we can walk through a toy store, you know, with my five-year-old or my eight-year-old, and, and you know, they'll see things and they'll be like, yeah, I want that or I want that or I want that or, you know, whatever, and we'll walk out and we're fine. You put like a $25 gift card in their hand and be like, okay, let's go shopping. It's, it's a whole different deal. Because now, like, they cannot decide. They walk into the toy store, they're like, but I really like that. But that's cool, too. But what about that video? What what about, and I'm like, guys, come on. It's been like four hours. Come on, seriously. And it's like, yeah, but, Dad, I can't decide. But you're just like, pick something. It's going to get lost in two weeks anyway. How is it possible that my five-year-old and my eight-year-old understand a principle when it comes to a $25 gift card, when it comes to money, that so many of us as grown adults don't understand when it comes to our time? Because, see, as long as I've got a $25 gift card, you know what I have? I have potential. I I can trade it for anything I want. But the minute I trade in my gift card for whatever it is that I choose to spend that $25 on, the potential is gone. And see, the very same thing is true when it comes to the time of our life, when it comes to how we spend our life. Because do you realize that every single day we are given a 24-hour gift card? And we can do whatever we want. We get to walk through the toy store of life and spend our 24 hours on anything we want today. But the Bible says that there's a limit to that. And that's why, as we begin this overloaded series, I think we've got to start with the premise. We've got to start with an understanding that time is of the essence. But then in verse 29, he goes on and he says, I do want to point out, friends, that time is of the essence. There's no time to waste. And then he makes the statement, so don't complicate your lives unnecessarily. Number two, God doesn't want us to complicate our lives unnecessarily. See, here's what I think we have to understand if we're going to dig into this overloaded deal this month. We've got to understand that our world has a natural pull toward complicated Our world, the world that you and I live in, that we breathe in, that we function in, that we drive in, that we work in, that we're raising our families in. Our world has a natural pull toward the complicated. When I was a little kid in Indiana, we would oftentimes, when it would snow really hard, my friends would come over and we would play like King of the Hill out on a big snow pile. And we'd go outside and we would just cream each other. I mean, we'd just go out there and just tackle. And one guy get to the top and you're like, whoa. You know, someone would just tackle him and just take him down. And like for 15 or 20 minutes, we'd be fine. And we'd just be laughing and everything. And then somebody get hurt in the back, you know. And, uh, so then whatever that kid did, he'd be like, okay, guys, we're, we're going to play, but no hitting in the back. And everybody's like, oh, okay, all right, okay. 
So then like five minutes would go by, and then like the next kid would get hit, you know, on the leg. And then he'd be like, okay, no getting hit in the back or in the right leg. And everyone's, all right, you know. And then another kid would get hit from this section of the snow. And so he'd draw it out, and he'd be like, okay, guys, no hitting in the back or the right leg or this section of snow. And before long, you got so many stinking rules in the game, you're just like, you know what, this isn't even fun anymore. Why are we even playing? This isn't fun. We're, all we're doing is following the rules. This isn't a game. This isn't fun. And yet how often do we do that in life? That see, when, when left to ourselves, when, when you and I are not intentional about our time, when we're not intentional about the priorities of our life, what happens? We begin to drift toward the complicated. We just keep adding and adding and adding and adding. Just keep heaping it on and heaping it on. No, I'm good. I'm good. I can juggle all these balls. Look, I can get them all to sit right here on the table and none will fall. And as long as I do this, we're all okay. We just keep adding and we keep adding. Our lives will naturally drift toward overloaded. It will naturally drift toward the complicated if you and I don't intervene and put up boundaries. This is why boundaries in our life are so important. Because boundaries, and some of us hear that and we're like, boundaries, really? Did he say boundaries? Interesting. See, the reason why boundaries are so important, you guys, is because boundaries are those things that keep us safe. Boundaries are those things in our life that keep us healthy and that keep us functional. Like if we went out to one of the high-rises on the beach and checked into the hotel and we're on the top floor and we walk into our room, we did a little key deal and we walk in, we lay our bags down and we see the sliding glass doors and we open it up and we go out to the balcony, how crazy would it be for us to be like, how dare they? How dare they put up a railing right here? This is my balcony. Who are they to infringe on on my balcony space? Matter of fact, when I sit down, I can't see. How crazy would it be for us to say that? Why? Because we understand that the reason that railing is there on the balcony at all is to keep us safe, is to keep us healthy, is to to put a self-imposed boundary so that we or any of our kids or whatever don't wander off the edge. And yet, how many of us are living without railings on the balconies of our life all over the place? And someone says, hey, do you want to do this? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Well, do you, hey, what about this? Well, man, I really could use you to serve on this whatever. And man, what if you did this? And what, could you pick up this one more project at work? I mean, we've been downsizing and scaling back. But could you just, and we just keep adding and adding and adding and adding and adding. And without any balcony what, or any railing on our balcony, what happens? So many of us find ourselves daily walking over the edge living an overloaded life where we feel like God is a million miles away. And Paul says, listen, you you can't complicate your lives unnecessarily. Verse 30 then, he makes this statement very simply. He says, keep it simple. How do we do this? How do we uncomplicate our lives? We got to keep it simple. Well, what, okay, well, what does that mean? Thanks for the advice, Matt. Keep it simple. Well, I think first and foremost, we have to define simple. What does simple look like in our marriage? How many commitments do we really have to have in our marriage? I mean, really. What what about with our family? Define simple there. How involved do our kids need to be in whatever? In our lifestyle, what what does simple mean in our lifestyle? See, again, this is a message that you will never hear our culture say. You will never hear our culture say, man, you just need to live simple. See, living simply is the harder thing in our world today. 
But here's what I think. I think that unconsciously we're all asking and living our life by the wrong question. And the question we're living our life by is, how complicated can I make my life and still get it all in? Instead of asking the question, how simply can I live and still be effective in the world? See, I think if we'll switch the question and move from this this complicated, overloaded lifestyle to a lifestyle that begins to say, how simply can we live? How simply can we live and not have all the neighbors think we're just weird? How simply can we live and still be effective in the world around us? And he goes on in verse 30 and tells us number four. Spending time with the Master is the priority. What, is, what does this look like? It, it looks like spending time with the Master. And can I be honest with you? I hope you would. Um, <clears throat> I want you guys to know that I am not, I am not teaching this message this morning from a place of know-it-all and got it all figured out. Um, the last few weeks of my life have been like, overloaded and so this message comes at a really opportune time and and, because I'm pretty overloaded there's supposed to be another verse right here and (laughs) I got to reviewing my notes this morning and I looked down and realized that I completely left it out verse 35 so I would ask you to read with me uh, but You don't have it um, because it's not on the screen because homeboy's overloaded. Verse 35, look at what it says. Look, look, because Paul's writing and and he lays the whole thing out. He's like, guys, you got to live simply and you got to uncomplicate your lives. And here's the reason why in verse 35, which is like the whole point of the whole stinking message, and I left it off. Check it out. All I want, it's okay, you can laugh. Verse 35, all I want, Paul says, look, is for you to be able to develop, look, I just ask you to look. There'll be no looking. Hear what the Spirit would say. (laughs) Ready? Here we go. (laughs) Listen to this. See, I changed. Listen, did you hear that? I'm adaptable. I'm flexible. I'm good. I'm cool. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Right here. It's a human computer. Right there. Verse 35. What are we talking about? All I want is for you, listen to this, to be able to develop a way of life, a way of life in which you can spend plenty of time together with the Master without a lot of distractions. What's the whole point of, of, of aggressively attacking the overload issue in our life? What's the point of, of uncomplicating our life? The point is, Paul says, listen, The reason this matters, the reason this is so important is because the the end goal of it all is that you and I would be able to live our life in such a way that we could spend plenty of time together with the Master, with Jesus, that we could sit at His feet every day and soak Him in and be in relationship with Him. That's why this overloaded issue is such a spiritual issue. That's why this overloaded issue matters so much to God. That's why God doesn't want us to live the next three, four, five, six decades of our life walking around every day going, man, where did all the time go? Man, I'm so overloaded. Man, I'm so stressed out. And thinking that's okay. Paul says it's not okay. Why? Because when we live overloaded lives, we squeeze out relationship, communion with the Master. 
So does that mean we're supposed to just sit around and read the Bible all day, Matt? No, I don't think so. It's like in a marriage, like like Sarah and I. Every time we're together, it's not like Sarah and I are just like a just talking all the time to each other, although sometimes it's probably more than she would like. But anyway, it's kind of, listen, when you make a living talking for a living, sometimes at home it's like, okay, bro, seriously, just want to just wanna watch a little tube. Just shh. Be great. Love you. Love you. But no, seriously, there's this, there's this thing among a married couple, right? Where you don't just have to be talking to each other all the time. Where you can just be laying on the couch together. Where you can just be, be reading different books on, on, the, on the lanai together. And, but there's just this confident knowing that you're doing life together. I think that's what God is after. The reason God doesn't want us to live overloaded lives is because He wants us to be in that kind of just open communion with Him. That open, just this common union between us that we're just, we're just, we just know God is there. That's what He's after. The goal of all of this is that you and I could spend time with the master, that that is the priority of our life. What if that became the filter of every decision we make about our time? Is this going to help me and my spouse and my family spend more time with Jesus? Because if it's not, then it probably doesn't need to fit on my already overloaded world. So how do we do that? Number five, we've got to minimize distractions. we got to, the verse 35, if you could see it, would you'd read that, he says you got to do that without a lot of distractions. We got to we got to minimize distractions. Well, how do we do that? What does that look like for us? Well, I want to give us very practically here five practical ways to begin minimizing distractions. And the next couple minutes, I, I just want to share some things that that Sarah and I have learned over the last decade or so, of being married and, and doing the deal. And I, I just want to share some of these things on how we begin to minimize these distractions so that we can spend plenty of time with the master. Number one is, uh, and, and check this out, you got to put the big rocks in first, not pet. <laughs> Somebody needs a vacation. Are you serious, bro? Some of you walked in and read ahead in the bulletin and were like, we're going to get a pet rock. I love this church. We're not going to give you a pet rock today. Petting rocks is creepy. I don't care. It's just creepy. I told you I'm living this stuff. Come on. You got to <laughs> you got to put the big rocks <laughs> in first, all right? Where am I? What is going on? Unbelievable my life right now. Um okay, uh, maybe you've heard that illustration. Uh, where the professor, you know, has a class of students and he's trying to teach them about time management. And so he, he gets this big glass vase, you know, and, and he, he looks at his class and he says, um, he, he takes out four big rocks and he sticks them in first and he stacks it to the top and he says, is the jar full? And of course the majority of the class is like, yes, the jar is full. And he says, put your hands down. And he takes out a bag of pea gravel and he pours it in and it goes down around all of the big rocks and it fills all the way up to the top. And he says, now, now is the, you know, is the vase full? And you know, a couple kids are like, yeah, it's full. And everybody else is kind of catching on. And they're like, no. And he says, that's right. So he reaches down, grabs a bag of sand. He pours the bag of sand into the glass vase. And it, the sand goes down and it, it shifts its way in there until it's all the way full. And he says, now is it full? And a few other kids, you know, bid on that one. And he takes out a pitcher of water and he pours it in. And the water, you know, the sand absorbs the water. And it goes all the way to the top. And he looks at them and he says, now, 
What's the point of this illustration? What's the moral of the story? And the kids sat there silent for a couple seconds. And one kid in the back raises his hand and he says, when it comes to time management, anytime you think that your life is full, check again because you can always get something else in. (laughs) Which is interesting. And um, the professor goes, actually, no, the, the moral of the story, the point of the illustration is when it comes to time management... If you're going to get the big rocks in, you've got to put them in first. And see, the same is true in our lives. And when it comes to our time, when it comes to the way we spend our 24-hour gift card every day, the first thing I would say, practically speaking, if we want to uncomplicate our lives, is we've got to put the big rocks in first. And some of us need to leave this place today and make a determination about what exactly are the big rocks. I think it it looks like a couple of things. I mean, in terms of your family, if you have children, what are the big rocks? What's the point of your raising your kids? Because there are some kids, and again, our culture just bombards us with this stuff. And and maybe, you know, you've lived under this illusion, this idea that, well, I've got to make sure my kids are well-rounded. I have to make sure that they experience every possible club and activity and sport so that by the time they turn 18, they can walk out and go, man, am I well-rounded. Listen, if you think that's the point of parenting, then okay. Go get you some. Go put your kids in bocce club and chess club and gymnastics and swimming and flag football and soccer and baseball. Do it, absolutely. And you will run yourself ragged and you will run your kids ragged and you will overload your family until you guys never even see each other except through the rearview mirror saying, don't choke on your nugget and I get out of the car. (laughs) That's not a fun life. Here's a rule in our house, and you can do with this whatever you want. I don't got chapter and verse on this, but somebody goes choking on nuggets, and we're going to have issue. Here's the deal with us. One. Pick one. You get to do one thing, one activity per season. You know why? Because the point of Matt and Sarah's parenting with my little boys is not that they get to try everything under the sun. The point of our parenting is that when they turn 18, they actually like us, that they actually have a relationship with us, and that they actually have spent a little bit of time with mom and dad, not just in the minivan. That's the point. So that's kind of with the marriage. You've got to put the big rocks in first. I think every couple in premarital counseling, should be forced to ask and answer the question, how long do you want to be married? Can you imagine being in a wedding? Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today in the sight of God in the face of these witnesses and join together this man and this woman in holy matrimony. Hey, buddy, how long do you want to be married? What about you, baby doll? You're looking all nice today. How long is this going to last? What do you think? Here's the thing. Every single one of us right now, if you're married, you'd be going, well, of course, bro, forever. Listen, I would contend that the vast majority of us, if we followed you around for a week, the way you live your life, the priorities in which we live our life do not back up the fact that you want to be married for 40 or 50 years. Because something in us knows a 90-hour work week is not conducive to a 50-year marriage. we got to put the big rocks in first. Because some of us go, I want to be together forever. No, you don't. You want your kids to be in every activity. Some of us haven't had a meaningful conversation in months. And our marriage is 
Filter, filter, filter is bad. Why? Man, you look great in that car. Do you know what everybody thinks when they see you pull into that neighborhood? Congratulations, your marriage sucks. Number two, commit a number of nights at home each week. Commit a number of nights at home each week. Married or single, listen, this is just good. Life is so busy that all of us could literally be be busy every single night of the week with good things. When the church was early, uh, or very young, early on in the church plant, Sarah and I began to look at my schedule, and we started to realize that that ministry could be a runaway train. We began to realize that if I'm not careful, I I could be gone every night of the week. And so we made a decision in terms of two things. Number one, that I would begin to take Fridays off. Fridays would be my day off. And where we came from, um, we heard things like, the devil doesn't take a day off. And we heard things like, well, you know, I never want anyone in the business community to work as hard or harder than I do in the ministry. Well, here's, here's my issue with that. Number one, I'm not sure when we started taking our cues in the church from the business world. And number two, I'm not sure when we started trying to model our life and style after the devil So when you go back to the Word of God, it actually says to take a day off. So we did. So we instituted early on, and it took me several months to be able to clear out Fridays. And my my cell phone used to be the church phone. And in the early days, I used to, on Thursday night, right before I would go to bed, I would call in and I would change my voicemail to say, Hey, you've reached Matt's phone at Next Level Church. Fridays are my day off. If this is a church-related matter, leave a message and we'll get to it when we can. And if this is a personal matter, call Sarah's phone and then we wouldn't leave her number. (laughs) Because I had to put up a boundary to protect that. So number one, we decided that Fridays were going to be our day off. And number two, we decided that we would not be out any more than three nights away from home in any given week. And as a rule, no more than three nights out. And three of the other four nights that we would be at home, we decided that we would sit around the table and actually have dinner together, all of us, together. TV, off. Computer, off. Phone, off. Music, off. And we would actually sit three out of the other four nights face-to-face. And I don't care if you're eating ramen noodles or mac and cheese. It doesn't matter. The point is not what you eat. The point is that all of you as a family get together and look at each other face-to-face-to-face and ask the question, how was your day? And so we made a decision early on that we are not going to let ministry run our life as a family. We're going to get face-to-face with each other. One time, we were sitting at dinner, and my phone rang. And I got up to go look and see who it was. And as I got up, my oldest, he was probably four then, just instinctively said, oh, no, not again. And in that moment, I decided never again. I'm not going to raise kids who think that daddy loves church more than them. Straight up. (laughs) Number three, learn the art of saying no without excuse. Learn the art of saying no without excuse. 
Listen, this is not an easy one for me. I am a total people person. I mean, like, I'm the kind of person that will meet someone in Starbucks and, like, talk to them for five minutes and be like, honey, we're going on vacation with them. They're awesome. Like, like that is me. I mean, I am a total people person. I just love being around people and just all of that. I mean, I just, I love that. But here's the thing is our church has gotten bigger. I have had to come to the realization that I cannot be the husband I'm called to be, the dad I'm called to be, the pastor I'm called to be, and the leader I'm called to be. And be everybody's friend at the same time. And it kills me, you guys. I'm telling you, it is so hard. It's so hard for me when I realize that I can't meet with everyone. I can't have lunch with everyone. I can't have coffee with everyone, even though I want to. It kills me. And Sarah and I, the same same way. I mean, in order for us to have the marriage we want to have and maintain the relationships that are closest to us, we had to come across this line where we said, we just can't be friends with everybody. And it's so hard. But it's so right. Why? Because we have a responsibility that those closest to us get the best from us. Let me say that again. God's desire is that those who are closest to us get the best from us. Who gets the best of you? That customer? That client? Or your kids? Or your spouse? Or your friends? Those who are closest to us? To you. And so Sarah and I had to come across this line a long time ago that we would love to be friends with everybody. I especially, man. I would just I'd be like, we're all best friends. No, we're not. No, we're not. And it's hard. But at some point, you've got to learn how to say no without excuse. And that's the hard part, isn't it? Come on, we got to practice this. Come on, everybody. You ready? You ready? Here we go. Hey, you guys totally want to come over on Friday night and you know Friday night is your date night with your spouse and you're going to say, okay, that was weak. Come on, come on. You guys, we're totally going out. It's going to be amazing. You guys should totally come with us. But why not? It's no again. That's right. No, love you. No, love you. Sorry. Why? Because if I'm going to be the husband, I'm called to be. If she's going to be the wife, she's called to be. If we're going to raise the kind of kids we want to raise, then we've got to be able to come across that line and say, love you. I'm sorry, but no. Without excuse. Some of us need to practice this. We need to have like a connection group for this. This is the learning to say no group. You need to go to that. It's more like a support group. Because, of course, that would be another commitment that you probably shouldn't (laughs) anyway but that'd be a good one (laughs) listen you got to learn how to say no you got to learn how to say no because it's all it's all just going to come at you way too fast otherwise and and before you know it you got stuff just all over the place and your life is overloaded and it doesn't work number four never add without subtracting this is a great thing that sarah and i learned a long time ago never add without subtracting What a great discipline to to practice. Whenever an opportunity arises, here's the question you should ask yourself first. Okay, great. If I'm going to pursue this, what am I going to cut? And here's why. Because if you've got a table full of balls and you're trying to keep them all on the table and someone adds another ball in there, guess what? One of the balls is going to drop. Don't you owe it to yourself to at least pick which one? But see, too many of us, we just start adding stuff and adding stuff. And then it's like, oh, the kid ball dropped. Oh, darn. Wait, come back. 
Oh, I haven't had a conversation with my spouse in three months. Oh, whoops. Well, you might as well pick it. Hey, baby, listen. I'm going to go play ball with the guys and love you. <laughs> no, just kidding. Don't drop that ball. I'm just, gosh, come on. Rough crowd. Number five, remember, your responsibility is not to other people or to guilt. Your responsibility is to God. Listen, when it comes to the, uh, living an overloaded life and uncomplicating it and starting to back off of that ledge, that railless ledge, we got to remember that our obligation is not to other people and our obligation is not to guilt. I, I, it is to God. Listen, I would, if you would, here's what I, I challenge you to do. Put a filter on this week of how many decisions that you and I make in a week's time that are based around guilt. I think we would be blown away at how many, how many decisions we make every single day. That, well, I don't want to let that person down. I know I'm neglecting my family. I know that whatever. But man, I just really feel bad. I just, ah. See, I don't think we're going to stand in front of God someday and him look at us and go, wow, you know what? I know that you went through like four marriages and I know your kids ended up hellions, but man, you pleased so many people. I'm so proud of you. I don't think that's what God's going to say to us someday. I think God's going to look at us and he's not going to say, man, you crammed 30 hours into 24 like nobody else. Way to go. You lived such an overloaded life. That pleases me. No, I don't think that's what God's going to say to us someday. I think someday he's going to look at us and he's going to say, how faithful were you with your treasures, with your talents, and with your time? That you lived your life in such a way that you could spend, spend plenty of time with the master. That's why this overloaded issue is so huge. That's why we're taking a month to talk about it. Because if we don't get this right, if we spend the next 40 or 50 or however many years you got left living overloaded and maxed out, we will squeeze out the presence and voice and power of God in our life, and that will not please Him. So we got to get this right. We got to start to unwind, we got to start to uncomplicate our lives. So, a couple challenges this morning we walk out of here, I want to challenge you with this. One to ten. Ten being high. How complicated is your life right now? One to ten. How complicated is your life? If you're like eight or higher, like some of us are like, dude, I'm like 19 and a half. Listen, you got to start to ratchet things back. Don't make me ask your spouse. She will tell us the truth. Some of us need to ask our spouse, one to ten, how complicated is my life? Get ready, because it's going to feel like a punch in the gut. And then it's going to feel like a shot. And then it's going to feel like medicine. Then it's going to feel like relief. We got to ratchet it back. Second challenge, what, what are you going to do? When you leave this place, what are the two things that you're going to step out of here and begin to do? Some of us need to have a conversation with our spouse. Some of us need to have a conversation with our children and tell them, guys, listen, mommy and daddy have made a mistake. We have been living an overcomplicated, overloaded life, and it doesn't please God. And we need to ask you to forgive us because we have a responsibility to not just live uncomplicated lives ourselves. We have a responsibility 
to raise children who don't think that an overloaded, I have a blackberry by the time I turn six, life is acceptable. We're responsible to not live overloaded lives, nor to let our children live overloaded lives. Why? Because there's too much at stake. Let's don't raise such well-rounded children that they, they don't even know what the voice of God sounds like. What are we going to do to ratchet it back? Some of us need to have conversations. Some of us need to make decisions. Some of us need to pick up the phone and say, you know what, I'm not going to be able to make it anymore. Some of us need to look at someone in the face and say, I love you. I'm sorry. No. No. We, we just, I can't have the marriage God's called me to have. I can't raise the kids God's called me to raise and do what I'm doing for God and be in who I'm going to be and have plenty of time for him and do this. So I love you. Thank you for the invitation. No. See, guys, God wants us to live uncomplicated lives. Because that's how he fits. Let's pray together. Jesus, across this room, Lord, there are hundreds of us, and even those watching on the internet or listening over the internet, God, who are just convicted to the core, God. We are just, we do feel like we got punched in the gut by you, and we're glad. And so, God, I pray right now that you would give us the courage to ratchet down. God, for the person who is here who's gone, that is me. I am straight up overloaded. I pray that this month would be a life-changing, liberating month. As we learn how to uncomplicate our lives, as we back away from the ledge called overloaded, and we begin to build in time to see your presence and your power at work in our lives. Jesus, touch marriages right now. God, there are marriages that are on the rocks because of this one principle that has been violated. I pray that there would be marriages that would have courage to cut everything else and go see a counselor. I pray that there would be relationships between children and and parents that would be restored simply because we take the initiative to ratchet down the schedule of our children. Jesus, I pray that in our heart, Lord, some of us got some of us are dealing with ulcers and sleep apnea and 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 and, and, and all of that stuff, health issues, erratic heartbeat, and just other stuff. And just right now, the answer, your miracle is found in in living an unoverloaded life. Your answer is found in uncomplicating your life. God, I praise you that you're doing miracles, God, even right now, Lord. You're doing miracles. And by by applying such a practical thing, the miraculous is taking place in our hearts. And God, we thank you for that now. In Jesus' name. And everybody across this place said, amen.